Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Media Podcast Network. All right, everybody, it is Tuesday, November seventh, twenty twenty three, and it is indeed a heck of a morning. We are oh so live. On the MMA Fighting Twitter space, you can hear the show in its entirety shortly thereafter on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. What's going on, everybody? I am Mike Heck. Hope you're having a great start to your week. Hope you are handling, especially in the United States, the change of times. You got that extra hour of sleep. You're feeling good because we are getting ready for UFC 295, which goes down this Saturday, of course. Top of the bill. Two title fights, main event for the vacant light heavyweight title. Yuri Prohashka returns to face the former middleweight champion, Alex Pereira. And then the co-main event, interim heavyweight title fight, Sergei Pavlovich versus Tommy Aspinall. It's going to be a damn good main card. Should be kind of a fun competitive prelims. Should be fun. Of course, we'll have the watch party. I will be flying out to New York on Saturday. Very excited to reunite with my man GC and Mysterious Frank and the whole crew. It's going to be a good time. Now, if we were just focusing on that, that would be a lot to talk about, right? We could, we would also have the fallout of UFC Sao Paulo and Jelton Almeida's win over Derek Lewis and Nicholas Dalby and everything else that happened. That would also be a lot to talk about. But then Dana White appears via the magic of social media yesterday afternoon and announced three big title fights. We're wondering what the UFC, what the main event was going to be for UFC 297, January 20th in Toronto. We had already confirmed on Friday, vacant women's bantamweight title fights, Myra Bueno Silva versus Raquel Pennington. That is a go for that card. A lot of people are freaking out. Oh, what the hell is this? Why are we doing this? When it was never in any reports said to be the main event, but it's going to be the co-main event to 
the middleweight championship fight between Sean Strickland and Drickus Duplessis. Justice for DDP. The man who deserves this title shot is getting it. This doesn't happen all that often. The man who truly deserves it gets it. DDP deserves it. That fight is going to be insane. So that is UFC 297, January 20th. Two title fights. UFC 298. Don't know when it's happening. We know it's happening in February, but we don't know exactly when. We don't know where. It's going to be Alexander Volkanovsky versus Ilya Teporia. So instead of getting Volk Teporia in January, we we're hoping it wouldn't happen in January. Give Volk a little bit more time. Probably less than a month, I would guess, after January 20th. I know Teporius had said something about Los Angeles. Some people ran with that. I am told that is not 100% the case as of yet. I kind of feel like that might be in Vegas with the Super Bowl and everything going on, but I honestly have no idea. The two locations that I have heard are possible for that card, and things could change based on what I'm going to tell you guys next. I heard Phoenix or Vegas. Those are the two. I talked to some other folks. They had heard the same, but nothing had been etched, like ironed out or etched in stone yet. So it could be LA, could be Vegas, could be Phoenix. Who the hell knows? So that's February. March, again, don't know when exactly, don't know where exactly. Main event for UFC 299 will be Sean O'Malley versus Cheeto Vera 2. Biggest fight. You can make right now at 135, by far, maybe the most, maybe the biggest Bantamweight title fight in UFC history by the time we get there. People have been wanting this rematch for a while. Now the freaking title's on the line. A lot going on there. Don't know where that's going to happen. We shall see. But yeah, some big news to kick off the week. I know there were sort of rumors about Islam Makachev and Charles Oliveira. Uh, Ariel had reported that on Saturday. We all saw sort of the aftermath of that. The UFC doing what the UFC typically does with Ariel. And we saw Ali's reaction to that. Uh, I had been told that there were there were talks about that. And as Ariel ironed out in his tweet, nothing was finalized. It was just sort of like, here's what we're thinking could be the case. This is what sort of we're pondering. But nothing was ever done. That report basically said all of that, and Sean Strickland DDP, baby. We're getting that instead, which means maybe we get, I don't know when we get Islam Charles now. April seems like because of Ramadan, probably not. Maybe that's June. Maybe that's International Fight Week. I don't know. I don't really know. But now we have to figure out what's going to headline UFC 300. We assume it's going to be Connor versus Chandler, but who the hell knows at this point? So lots to discuss. I don't want to just steal and hijack this entire show. I'm going to do enough talking, but I want to hear from all of you. I see some newbies, and we're going to start with the newbies. Uh, Arnie Palmy alert. We will start here. Go ahead, Arnie. Good morning, Mike. Uh, so Sergey and Aspinall are uh, fighting for the interim belt this weekend, and with John out for a whole year, uh, do you think we see them defend the interim bell? And if so, who do you think they defend against? Thanks, man. Have a good day. Interesting question. Uh, as a matter of fact, we dropped a UFC 295 roundtable 
on MMAfighting.com. Tremendous website. You can check it out right now. And I answered two of the questions. One was, will Yuri Prohashka versus Alex Pereira bring order to the light heavyweight division? And the other one was, will the UFC 295 co-main event winner still be the heavyweight champion this time next year? My answer was, I'm going to say no. And that's because since the light heavyweight division will find a little bit of normalcy for the first time in a while, heavyweight will catch full on the contagious virus of weirdness. I feel like that was just basically, you guys could read the rest, but here's what I think. I do feel like that interim title is going to be defended, especially if Tom Aspinall wins. And especially if Tom Aspinall, especially if the UFC goes to London. And I don't know when that could happen. Maybe they do it in July. I don't know if it's going to be a pay-per-view or not. But you have to imagine that if Tom Aspinall is holding a title, interim or not, he is going to probably be the main event of that card. Maybe Leon Edwards, if he beats Colby and is still the champion. But you kind of have to feel like Tommy Aspinall is going to be a part of that. The big question is, what's going to happen with the undisputed title? Because we do have John Jones, who's supposed to fight Stipe this Saturday. And you have heard me talk about, ever since this fight was announced, or even after John Jones won the heavyweight title, John's going to fight Stipe. Whenever that happens, sometime this year, both guys are going to retire. Stipe's going to retire. John might not full-on retire, but he's going to walk away and take a sabbatical until something big comes along. And then the injury happened. And now he's going to – I would be stunned if this fight happens before International Fight Week, honestly. So that'll probably headline International Fight Week. I just don't know. I still feel like it's Stipe's last fight. I feel like the whole road for the comeback for John to fight in March, to headline an MSG versus Stipe, that would have been a nice way for him to just be like, all right, I've done what I can. I just beat Stipe, the decorated heavyweight champion of the UFC, most title defenses, all the records in the, in the heavyweight division. Doing it in New York to be a very big deal for John, I can walk away for a little while. Two fights in eight months after the three-year layoff. But now we're talking, what, 16 months, 17 months between fights? I kind of feel like John's going to milk this a little bit. And I feel like John f- could fight again, but it won't be till 2025. So we could see if, if Aspinall wins, Aspinall defend that belt, maybe get another win. Maybe his star power goes up. And then maybe first quarter 2025, we get John Jones, Tommy Aspinall. Pavlovich wins. I don't know what the hell's going to happen, but I do feel like, especially if Aspinall wins, we are going to get an interim title defense. This is going to get ugly. It's going to be a long stretch. It's going to get weird, but that's what the heavyweight division is going to be this year, my friends. Or next year. That's how I feel. But we'll see. I've been wrong many, many times before. But that's just what my guts tell me. Nicholas, you're up. Um, Nicholas not going through. Uh, bounce out and bounce back in. And I'll bring you back. Looks like a connection issue on your end. Uh, how about you, Dante? What's up? What's up, Mike? How's it going? So, uh, I have two questions. My first one is, where do you think Anthony Smith goes next? And my second is, what do you think Jelton Almeida does next? Jelton Almeida is easy. 
He's going to fight Curtis Blades. They're just going to rebook that fight. Makes all the sense in the world. I don't want to see the Cyril gone fight. Uh, hang tight, Nicholas. Now you're through. Um, just mute yourself. I'll get you in in a second. Yeah, it's the Blades fight. That's the only one that makes sense. Like, I don't want to see any other fight for Jelton Almeida right now. I don't want to see anything else. I don't want to see the Cyril Gaon fight because I think he just smushes Cyril Gaon like he did to Derek Lewis. And Cyril Gaon has, like, maybe a worse ground attack than Derek Lewis, like, defensive grappling than Derek Lewis has. So I just feel like we're just going to see the same fight again. Both Curtis Blades, I think, will get some answers. If he does that to Curtis Blades, then we're like, all right, nope. It's going to be really tough to beat this guy. Anthony Smith, man. Golly. It's going to be... Let me look here. Uh, I don't know. Like Cleo Roundtree's got a fight coming up. I think maybe if Cleo wins, maybe do that. He's fighting Mirzakhanov. Maybe the winner of that fight. Maybe a guy like a, like a Kennedy into Chukwu. I know he just lost Dust Jacoby. Dustin's got a fight coming up as well, I believe. So maybe if Dustin, Jacoby, no, no, they won't fight because they're Factory X dudes and they like each other. Yeah, it's going to be tough, man. But I, maybe the Roundtree Merzikonov winner. Maybe like a guy like Carl Zolberg, maybe. Kind of like a litmus test kind of a fight. I don't know. There's really not a ton out there for Anthony Smith right now. Uh, go ahead, Nicholas. What's up, Mike? How you doing, man? Gang. Uh, do you really think that Dana White is hating Ariel Helwani, or is it all just for PR and clout? Because hate is a pretty strong word. I mean, look, I, I don't... I don't know if he hates him. He certainly doesn't like him. And one thing I know about Ariel... Because I've, obviously I've been around him. I spent a lot of time with him in Dallas during the Jake Paul Nate Diaz fight week. He's pretty true to his word, man. Like he's never said anything that was like untruthful to me. And I obviously have heard stories as well of people who have been on site during some of these stories Ariel has told. So yeah, I, I don't know if I don't know if Dana like straight hates him. He certainly doesn't like him, but it, I look, we've seen instances of this before where Ariel reports something and then like a day later it changes. Now, is it a coincidence? Maybe once or twice, but multiple times. I'm not really sure. Perfect example, Dominic Cruz versus Marlon Vera. That fight was supposed to happen in Boston. Ariel had reported that card's going to take place in Boston. And then they moved it to San Diego like a day later. So it doesn't surprise me like some of the pettiness and plus look, yes, you have the UFC has a big outlet to, to do this with they have ESPN. So they could throw this stuff out there and, and do all that. Now, I don't know if they were like, Oh fuck Ariel behind the scenes. Let's just do this to, to screw them. But like I said, Ariel ain't the first person to have heard about a possible Islam Makachev, Charles Oliveira fight. It's not the first time Ali has said something was fake news. That wasn't. Henry Cejudo, Aljamain Sterling were reported a certain date for that fight. That was being discussed. And then it was all about whether Aljamain Sterling, I don't know if I forget, was it the March card? Was it the March card that we initially reported before John Jones was coming back? 
I don't remember, but that fight was agreed for that date. And Ali called our report fake news, which I already explained on this. So happens there too. But yes, there's obviously a a not good relationship between the UFC and, and Ariel, and he talked about it yesterday. So if you missed it, go back and check that out. But I don't think he's lying, man. Ariel, you can call Ariel a lot of things, but I uh, liar is not one of them. At least I'm a pretty good judge of character, and I don't think he's a liar. So, but even Ariel laid it out pretty good. Like, hey, if you want to believe them, great. I don't care. But those who know me and know my track record, there you go. But do I know the answer to that question? No. I mean, just go in my gut here. I'm trying to get Jameer through, but not looking good. Getting the wheel of doom. Give it like five more seconds. Okay, it didn't go through. Uh, we'll eeny, meeny, miny this. How about King Cat? Hi, King Cat. Morning. <clears throat> so I read the article about Tyler Santos that you all put out about, um, you know, her not being on the roster anymore. But it, you know, didn't give a lot of details. So I'm just wondering, is did you, did you all find anything else out? Um, in the interim, because it just seems wild to me that, you know, she would decide to leave or that they would release her. So do you have any more insight on that? Thanks, Mike. Uh, not particularly. We just know that it's true. We got those sort of social media bot accounts who, you know, put out this information. And sometimes they're true and sometimes they're not. They go basically off the... I think it's off the fan site where you can kind of like draft your lineups or whatever and like fantasy matchmaker or whatever and make your own rankings. And if a fighter is removed from those fan rankings, the bots will pick up that they're gone. So there are certain times where they'll put out names like, for instance, Myra Bueno Silva or Daniel Rodriguez or Walt Harris. Uh, none of them are released all of them are still under contract with the UFC, but all of them are facing suspensions right now and are not eligible to fight until a certain date. This one was a, was a weird one. And of course, our own Gear May Cruz confirmed this with multiple sources. It's a weird one. It seems like a straight release, too. It seems like a straight release, too. So I don't, we don't have any insight. If I'm Tyler Santos... Do I want to be in the UFC right now? I mean, it's like she's up there. She's a top five flyweight in the world. She just lost a close fight to Valentina Shevchenko. She lost a close fight to Aaron Blanchfield. And with the way this division looks right now, it's going to take her forever to get to a title shot. I mean, she's going to have to win like five in a row at this point, especially with where this division's going with some of these up and comers. And I think. Tyler probably knows that. It's a long way back to a title fight. When it seemed like with the Valentina thing, if Valentina was still the champion, maybe Tyler can get back there. But with Grasso in the mix right now and her losing to and Santos losing to Blanchfield, it's a long road back. So maybe, maybe her team was like, 
can you release me? I'll go somewhere else. May I go to PFL or go elsewhere in fights? And Tyler's not like a huge star, so maybe the UFC was like, yeah, okay. But again, no details, but it wouldn't surprise me if Tyler was the one that was like, hey, can uh, can you cut bait here so I can go somewhere else? Because like I said, it's I mean, it is going to take her forever to get to a title fight. So still surprising, but the more I think about it, I'm like, if it, if it came from Tyler, then maybe it's not that surprising. But who the hell knows? Maybe Dana will give some insight this week. Panda, go ahead. Wow, stunner. Panda, try again. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Let's try Jameer one more time. Do we have you, Jameer? Yeah, can you hear me? Yep, I got you. Uh, what's your relationship with Ali Abdelaziz? Like, do you have any personal relationship with him, or does he not speak to the whole MMA fighting crew? Um, I, I never really had a relationship with Ali. Like, he's introduced himself to me maybe once or twice years ago. Um... There was a time when I first got to MMA fight. Like, I, I've interviewed his fighters for a while. Uh, Gilbert Burns being one of them. I never really went through Ali or his team to, to get those interviews. And then it got to a point where, you know, I'd reach out to them. And they would tell me, no, you have to, like, it's a new thing. You got to go through, like, the PR or go through Ali or, or whoever to book these interviews. So when I got to MMA fighting, that's what I did. Went to their PR team. Uh, was getting some some good interviews from them. Got him for about a year or so. And then the PR person that's not – she's not there anymore but uh, that I was working with before. And I think I've told the story before. Um, she, was, she was very helpful. She was very helpful in, in getting interviews done. And then there was one time where I think it was Burns. I think it was Burns after he – beat Tyron Woodley. I had reached out, got no response for like a week. And then I just reached out to Gilbert and told him, Hey, I haven't gotten a response. Let's do the interview. And he was like, okay. So we did the interview. They were not happy. And I was like, all right, fine. I was like, but I did reach out, but I'm not going to wait. Like if we're going to do this, like let's just do it. Cause you know how the sport works, everybody in a week, none of this matters anymore. And then it got to the point where, I mean, I couldn't land anybody. Even Aaron Pico, no disrespect to Aaron Pico, but he's not like a big star. Him going and doing an interview with MMA Fighting is like a good thing for him, I would say. Not just me, but anybody from the site. And they're like, no, we didn't approve this, didn't approve this. And I was like, what the fuck, man? 
So at that point, I had reached out to the PR person who was working there at the time. And I said, you know what? Uh, take me off your list. That's it. You know, I just, I just don't want to waste your time or my time anymore, like reaching out for interviews because none of them are getting approved. So I'm just not going to do it anymore. I was like, there's plenty of other fighters. There's like 550 other fighters on the roster I can talk to. Like, no hard feelings. It's just, we're just not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to reach out and try to book an interview, wait three days for a response, and then find out I can't get it. So that's it. And that's literally it. I have not, the only times I've interviewed Ali represented fighters since then was either on site or it was set up by a sponsor who reached out to me. Did one with Burns, did one with Gaethje, did one with a couple of others. And that's fine. Sometimes that's how you have to book the interviews, and that's fine. Like, I'm, I don't hate Ali. I don't dislike him at all. I, just, I don't even really know the guy. Um, I think the way he sort of handles himself on social media is kind of crappy. I've said that publicly. It is what it is. Now, do we get interviews up with Ali fighters? Yes, we do. Damon gets a bunch. Uh, some of Ali's fighters have been on Ariel's show. Kayla Harrison goes on whatever the hell she wants. Derek Brunson's been on the show. A few others. So, yeah, there's – I have nothing – there are things I wish Ali would do better from, like, a manager perspective because you don't see a lot of agents in other sports going out and threatening to slap around other baseball players or football players. So I think that's kind of weird, but – there you go. That's where we're at. Now, they do have a new PR person, so perhaps I could reach out and get that relationship going. But Damon has a good relationship with, with the PR person. He gets some of the bigger names and gets all the interviews. So, And honestly, like I don't do a ton of interviews anymore. I've done, I've done probably more interviews in the last week than I've done in the last three months. Just in the last week. And some good names. Obviously, like, I try to talk to Anik as much as possible just because I have a really good relationship with John. And I like talking to him. Him and I, like, just get each other fired up for stuff. I uh, had a good interview with Wonder Boy. Uh, I believe that interview in its entirety just dropped on YouTube. We popped it on the podcast now because he gave us a little bit of news that him and the UFC have settled everything. Uh, I talked to Dustin Poirier. That was fun. Uh, not sure. The, that's up on the podcast network. But I don't like, I'm just, I'm doing so much at this point. We have the MMA hour. Like, I like doing interviews. I just don't really have a, the time to do a bunch more. So, I don't know. So, to answer your question, like, I don't really have a big, I don't have a strong relationship with Ali. I don't really have any relationship with Ali. I don't dislike the man because uh, I don't really know him. So, he's never done anything bad to me. I've heard James Lynch talk about him. I like James a lot. I've heard Ariel obviously tell his stories, and I obviously like Ariel a lot. So, yeah, that's between them, and I have no issue with Ali. Uh, let's keep going here. A lot of you want to speak, and I like this. Uh, let's go to Dylan. Panda will try to get you in next, and then we'll continue up and down the ladder here. Dylan, go ahead. Hey, Mike. Can you hear me? There we go. Yep, I got gotcha. you. Oh, okay, cool. Hey, uh, 
I yes. found myself after Saturday night seeing the Nicholas Dalby Gabriel Bonfim match. I just like found that fight super inspiring and like it got me super pumped whenever Dalby won. But like I didn't even know about like his past and other things he had to overcome before that. And then that was just icing on top. But like uh just watching the performance alone. I found it super inspiring. And I was wondering, like, uh, can you remember a fight recently or just a fight that pops into mind just based on performance alone that just got you like, man, I got to go on a run. I got to hit the gym. Or I'm like, this was, this got me fired up. But that's all. Just curious. Yeah, man. Dolby's, Dolby's a freaking animal. What a performance by him. Um, golly, that's a tough question. That's a really good question. I don't really know. I mean, I have to, I'd have to really like dig deep. Jose would probably be able to rattle off like 10 of them and like know where they happened and how they happened and what card and what was the co-main event, what the feature fight was. Um, Habib's last fight was a good one. Like that dude was dealing with so much with the loss of his dad and then just going out there and sort of doing to Justin Gaethje what he did and then just having mercy on the man by not breaking his arm in front of his parents and just tra- transitioning to a triangle like that. It's just gangster shit right there. And then hearing him retire the way that he did uh, was pretty crazy. Pretty crazy stuff. Leon Edwards winning the welterweight title was pretty inspiring because that was just out of nowhere and just the speech afterwards. like Everything that happened there was like I was ready to run through a friggin' wall. I was ready to run through a friggin' wall. Francis knock Francis Tyson Fury. Jesus. Dude knocks down the lineal heavyweight champion of the world. Pretty wild. Pretty wild stuff. But I have to dig a little deeper. That's a really good question. But off the top of my head, those are what come to mind. Panda, go ahead. Hey, too, Mike. How are you? Good. Uh, yeah, I'll be short and sweet. Uh, first things first, Ali is literally the worst on Twitter. I hope that PR person has a Twitter or runs his Twitter. I mean, hopefully if it's not just his Twitter, he takes over the fighters Twitters. Oh my God, that man is insufferable on Twitter. Secondly, um, what do you think of these title fights that were announced? Obviously I won't go down the line and uh, name them, but I'm most excited for O'Malley Vera. I think that the fight will probably give us the most uh, I don't want to say question marks, but like I think the line is going to be the closest. I think the action is going to be the most action packed. Like I'm not gonna lie, I think Sean Strickland is a nightmare matchup for Drickus Duplessis. I think Drickus Duplessis, unless he takes down Sean Strickland and kind of lays on him, is eventually just gonna gas and be a punching bag for Sean. And then I think Alex kind of takes out his anger on Ilya. But of course, Mike, I'm just a panda. So which one is uh, your favorite fight that was just booked? Thanks. So we just did a like a reaction pod yesterday, probably like 45 minutes after the news was announced. So I sort of give my thoughts there. Um, Strickland DDP is super interesting to me. 
for multiple reasons. If Strickland wins this fight, like, it's just insane. Like, it really is just insane. He goes out and beats Izzy and then goes and beats DDP. That's friggin' wild. And then he's going to fight Hamzad next. And if he beats Hamzad, like, Izzy, DDP, and Hamzad back to back to back, she, that is a ridiculous three-fight stretch in championship fights. Insane. Absolutely nuts. And if DDP wins, now we get Izzy coming back, chasing DDP. That's incredibly fascinating to me. Volk Tepori is much more interesting now after the Makachev loss. I'm glad it's not happening in January. I wish it was happening in like March or April, but February it is. And I would say of all the competitors that are involved in these title fights, the man with the most at stake is Sean O'Malley because his world changes forever if he beats Shido Vera. He's in a great spot right now. He's got a ton of momentum. That win over Sterling was huge. We saw the UFC treated it. They put the, the finish on YouTube, and they put it all over the place. They never really do that. They were pushing this man. But the question always was for me and for a lot of others as well is like, that's great, but what are you going to do with the title defense? Can you do it again? And if he could do it again against his longstanding rival, his biggest rival, Inchito Vera, who happens to be a guy fans really love, like that's gigantic and that will catapult him into another stratosphere. Now, if O'Malley loses, it's tough, but the UFC obviously understands that they have there. He can make his way back. But if he wants to become like a superstar and he wants to do the boxing fights and he wants the crossover appeal and all that, he can't lose. He cannot lose to Cheeto Vera. He can't. If he wants all of those things, he's got to win in March. He has to. So he has so much to gain here, even as the champion. I feel like he's he needs a win more than any of these guys. But they're all interesting in their own ways. But I am I am very, very much looking forward to Strickland versus DDP. Mikey, go ahead. Since Drickus and Sean Strickland is official, do you do you hold Kamzat to face the winner or do you Book him another fight at middleweight. And speaking of middleweight, is is the time to run Ikram Hamzat now? You know, because obviously for a lot of people who don't watch anything else outside the UFC, they fought each other before. So there's you could build that history off, or do you have Hamzat fight Jared Cannonier? Um if for all intents and purposes, unless something crazy happens, Michael Venom Page is probably signed with the UFC. Do you do you book his debut before UFC 300 or at UFC 300? Uh, also, Dustin Poirier, I don't know if he was just trolling or just or indicating something true, but he tweeted UFC 300 and eyeballs. So, do you do you think they'll? I, I think it would make sense if he uh, returned on that card. And what are the chances it's Nate Diaz? Uh, also, um, what do you think? A loopy Godinez stands if she wins this weekend. And speaking of which, do you think the Mackenzie Dern, the winner between Mackenzie Dern, or particularly if Mackenzie Dern wins, 
were this that placed her in title contention, do you do you wait for her to do you know? I, I think she's in the short list of title contention. You know, if the the, the UFC doesn't go with Weili Zhang, Weili and uh, Yan Xiaonan. So um, yeah, man, great fight week. Got to be kind of another. Talk to you guys later. Thank you, Mike. Each uh, a lot to unpack there. I will remember what I can. Um, the MVP thing, signs are pointing in the right direction. To say it's done is would be a little too quick on the trigger. I think you probably debut him before three hundred. I'm trying to like who it's not going to be wonder boy. Like Kevin Holland would be super fun. Like, I think that's a great debut fight. If they could pull that off, like if he does sign, I think that's the perfect fight. I think that's the one, something like that. Kevin's Kevin's a popular name. Everybody knows who he is. He may not be a top 10 guy, but he's fun as hell. And he doesn't have to worry about, somebody trying to take him down a thousand times like that's just that's just a fun freaking fight that could headline a fight night outside of the apex that could be a good main card fight on a pay-per-view like that's that's the one i don't know if you necessarily need to save that for ufc 300 so like february is gonna be a big card march is gonna be a big big card i don't think it happens as early as january but yeah, I think if you sign them, you got to get them in there as quickly as possible because people are just going to be wondering and they're going to be asking. And yeah, I think that's a great fight. JDM would be fun. Like there's, but I like the Holland fight. I like that one. Uh, Strawway, Loopy beats Ricci. Yeah, it's a good win. I don't think she gains like a ton from it, but yeah, I think people like Loopy. And I, people like Rishi too. It, they're very similar fighters in a lot of respects stylistically. But I think Loopy has a bit more of a personality. So I think Loopy can gain a little bit more from, than Rishi. Uh, Rishi just is one of those fighters that sort of just lets her fighting do the talking for. And Loopy's a little bit more outspoken, a little more entertaining on the microphone. So, yeah. Dern Andrade is interesting. If Dern wins, like, this is what I wanted anyways. Because I feel like you have to do, although the Shanghai card is uh, not going to be headlined by Zhang Weili, Yan Zhonan, I'm told. Which, like, what are we even doing now? Like, why are we even going there? No offense, but why are we going there without that fight? But there are reports out there that it's going to be Song Yudong versus Chris Gutierrez headlining that card. Um, I'm told there's some smoke to that fire. So wouldn't shock me if that is what actually happens here. So do you do Zhang Weili, Tatiana Suarez? Do you do Zhang Weili versus Zhang Zhonan? If you do Zhang Weili versus Zhang Zhonan and Mackenzie Dern wins, you have to do Tatiana Suarez versus Mackenzie Dern. That's the fight I wanted after Tatiana's last win. Like, throw her in there with Dern, do the Zhang Weili-Yan fight, and then give Tatiana Suarez-Mackenzie Dern a main event fight. 
on a fight night card. Do it at the apex. I don't care. But winner of that, like, gets a title fight without question. Right? So that's what I like. I like that a lot. And then Dustin Poirier, UFC 300. I spoke with Dustin Poirier last week. It's on the pod network. It's going to be in video form soon. Ask Poirier about that. Poirier said something to the effect of, I could be ready in six weeks. I could be ready in eight weeks. Um, if it's As long as it's something that's exciting. But he did point out UFC 300 specifically. Said UFC 300, that is enticing to him since he didn't fight at 200 and he ain't going to fight at 400. So UFC 300 seems like a good spot for him. So I don't think it's going to be Nate. If it's Nate, it's the main event. Because I don't think Nate's coming back to be the co-main event to anybody, including Conor McGregor. So maybe him and, I don't know. Maybe him and Felder. That'd be pretty damn fun for the Felder comeback fight. Maybe he does it at 170. I don't know. I'm not really sure. But, yeah, Poirier being a 300 would be pretty damn cool. Uh, Eric, go ahead. I'm saying it is uh, O'Malley versus there. I think O'Malley is going to win Avengers loss against Barry. And uh, if Dustin Poirier, if, if Diaz comes back to fight Dustin Poirier, I think it's going to be the main event. And I think if Duplessis wins, Israel is going to uh, fight uh, Duplessis. I think that would be a good matchup, and that would be intriguing. Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. Excuse me. Thanks, man. Um, I don't know. Like, look, and maybe you guys want to weigh in on this as well. How would you feel? And look, I like the fight. It's super interesting. You get two pretty big names who are all pretty much always in fun fights. How would you feel if Dana White came out and said, hey, the main event for UFC 300 is Dustin Poirier versus Nate Diaz? Would you be over the moon about that? Would you be excited? Would you feel like it's somewhat of a letdown? I'm not saying that's how I feel. I'm just wondering how you would feel about that, especially with the Connor Chandler thing and Connor's impending return. It seems like after these three announcements, most people feel like it's a lock that Connor's comeback fight is there. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it isn't. Shaheen mentioned on the a reaction pod yesterday that it doesn't seem like a lock for him. That maybe they just do UFC 300. It's a nice round number. You put a bunch of big names on there. And then instead of getting one big event and one big payday and one big pay-per-view buy, you push Connor Chandler to May. And then you get two back-to-back big, pay, big buys. I don't know. We shall see. Dude, if they book Poirier date, fucking sign me up for that. But I don't know how we feel about UFC 300 if that's the main event because that would be the main event if they booked that fight. Four Quarter Sports, go ahead. Hey, Mike. So I totally agree with you. Um, I've Knowing the UFC, they're going to try to you know have their cake and eat it too. They're going to try to have two bites out of the apple. But hey, don't be. I won't, would not be surprised if they put March to have two pay-per-views it looks like they've been doing that the last couple of years. You know, it's never been like consistently on uh, what month they will have two pay-per-views. Wouldn't be surprised if it's in March, but later in the year. I would love to see Dustin Poirier um, on UFC 300. Something tells me, you know, that they're going to, you know, stack the deck with 
either having like Poirier on the card and like two title fights, or wouldn't be would you be surprised if there's three title fights on the card? Um, I guess I mean it very surpri- surprising, you know. Wouldn't be surprised if like Leon is on that card if he defends the belt uh, against Colby, or if Colby is gonna make his first head of defense on that card. But I wanted to talk about uh, Jelson Almeida versus uh, Derek Lewis. Really good fight. Um, really good uh, game plan from Derek Lewis on like trying to make sure that Almeida has to work and stuff like that. But like couldn't put a lot of blame so much on him because he's taking the fight on short notice and you know he's doing his part. Disappointed in, in Almeida that you know he was on mount and was doing very little on like just trying to punish Derek Lewis. I felt like if he would have just hit the body, you know, throughout duration throughout the fight. He would have been able to submit him, but unfortunately, that wasn't the case. And I feel like there's some blame to put on Mark Goddard because if you're yelling, saying, you know, do some work, do some work, multiple times throughout the fight each round, and you don't stand them up, then you have a lot of blame as well, too. So um, I felt like Almeida, what's it called, didn't have a second game plan if he couldn't get Derek Lewis out of there. I felt like there was a lot of holes that may have been imposed, and it makes the Curtis Blades fight a lot more enticing. So let me know what you think, Mike. Thanks. Yeah, so you calling that a really good fight, and I think you're just I think you just said that. It's just not true because it was a terrible fight. It was a bad fight. I will that like I almost because of my immediate reaction to it was like, you know what? Maybe I'm maybe I'll just go maybe I'm being unfair. Maybe I'll go back and watch it again. And I was just like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not putting myself through that again. I can't. Dominant performance, yes, no doubt about it. But it was just tough, man. It was just so tough to watch. And it was so crazy about it is that in the immediate fallout of it, and I know how this sport can be, and I know people are very hard graders, we did a poll about how you graded Jelton Almeida's performance. A D or lower was by far the highest percentage. And then if you ask what Derek Lewis's was, he got a passing grade by most people, and he did nothing in the fight. It's so crazy. But, yes, that – it was just so frustrating because all Almeida had to do was punch Derek Lewis in the face. Like, if he just punched him, if he just did, if he just punched Derek Lewis, just inflicted some damage on the ground, he would have gotten Lewis out of there. There's certain points in the fight where he just started throwing, and Derek was just covering up. And then he was like, oh, I'll go try for this submission that I have not gotten the first 372 times I tried it. It was just not a great performance. It was just not great. And the Mark Goddard thing, look, you can't – Mark Goddard would have got absolutely annihilated if he had stood Jelton Almeida up. In mounts, you can't stand them up, man. Like you just can't in that position. Now, if it was in guard or something like that, like, yeah, I get it. But you can't stand him up in full mount. You just – you can't. Even if he's doing nothing. That's that's just too dominant of a position. You can't do it. But, yeah, not a fight I'm going to go back and watch again. He's not getting zero gone. I, I, if I'm Jelson Almeida, I am 1,000% calling for zero gone. He's making the right choice. Let's go in there and get the guys ranked number one who has no 
defensive grappling skill whatsoever. Maybe the worst in the division. That's what you should do. That was a smart call on his part. The problem is the performance is just not going to be enough. Cyril ain't touching that fight with the 10-foot pole, and I wouldn't if I was him. And we would get no answers from that fight. So you just got to rebook the Curtis Blades fight, and let's see what, how he does. But, yeah, not a, not a performance that got him a ton of fans, even with a dominant win. As so, man, heck of a morning. How are you doing? Yeah, I just have uh, two questions. Uh, um, what are your thoughts on the Marab versus Henry Cejudo fight, if that comes to uh, fruition? And how do you see that fight playing out? In my opinion, I think it's a very high-paced, intense um, mixed matchup fight that could be similar to what Gamrot versus Sarukin was, but it will be probably more standing on the feet since both are, both kind of cancel each other's wrestling up. But I'm really curious to see whose position uh, in terms of, you know, scrambles and wrestling will, you know, dominate more. And the, I just want to talk also, speaking of Aman Sarukian, I was watching his fight today with Islam Mahachev. I was actually genuinely impressed. Like, I was re-watching this after four years when I first watched this fight back when it happened. But now that recalling everything that happened, I'm just like amazed at the fact this guy took this fight on two weeks notice back then. And it was his UFC debut. And the way he actually managed to get Islam on the ground at least two times, two, three times during the fight, he was really putting some pressure. Despite Islam putting, imposing his will, you know, getting the better hand of the, the striking uh, edge, he, he did a really good job. And outside of Volkanovski, I, as far as I can remember, no one else but Aman has done a great job at the scrambles and actually even getting up on his feet while not being depleted. And, you know, Save for some rookie mistakes, like such as at the very last round where he was doing very well on the feet, you know, he could have possibly just gone forward that or just some other silly mistakes like trying to go for takedowns when he didn't have to. I really would love to see this rematch and I hope he wins against Benil Darius in December um, because that is a fight that I think every fan needs to see. And I would definitely recommend any newcomer, if you want to really get into the sport, watch that fight. That's a really good fight and that's a good way to really understand how the grappling and wrestling works in this game. Thanks, man. That's all I have. Yeah, man. That was, that was to me, like, because I, I've been on the Armin train for years, well before he got to the UFC. I just had it. I saw something in him. I just knew there was something there. And then he debuts on short notice against Islam Makachev. Loses, but gave Islam a hell of a fight. So, Yeah. We'll see what happens with this Dariush fight. It's a big spot for him. He goes out there and just runs Dariush. Like he's gotta, he's gotta get a title fight. He has to. Like there's nothing else he needs to do. I understand there's Gaethje there. He may have to wait a, a hot minute, but it's not like Sarukin's the most active guy on the planet, anyways. So you just kind of wait and see what happens. Marab versus Cejudo. I love that fight. I'm very much interested in that one. If and when it happens. And, yeah, I love it. I love it. Marab is just an absolute animal. Cejudo is a very smart fighter. And obviously has great wrestling himself. It's super interesting. I like it. It's a fight that makes sense. I still don't know if either 
I still don't know if Marab beats Cejudo if he ends up getting a title shot if Sean O'Malley wins. Like, I don't know. I don't know. By merit, of course, but Sean could just be like, nah, I'm going to go box. I don't know. It's going to be interesting, but I like that fight a lot. CV, hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Good morning. Um, just two quick ones for me. Um, first question, uh, 295. Um, out of out of the four fighters involved in the Coleman and main event, um, like who's the star of the card? Um, me personally, I think it's Alex, just because he has a chance to get another belt at a different weight class. And um, second thing, um, not really a question, but um, so I saw that um, Roman Delidze and Nazardi Imovov is being targeted as the main event for um, UFC Shanghai uh, next month. Um, did the UFC fumble the bag with that one? Um, pretty middleweighty fight for a fight night event uh, outside the apex. Um, really thought they could have done uh, Wei Li versus Yan, but it looks like the timelines didn't work out. But yeah, just want to get your thoughts on that. Thanks. Thank you, sir. I think Alex is probably the right answer, but People love Yuri, too. Aspinall has seemed to have gotten over everywhere he's gone. And Pavlovich is just a mystery man. Just quiet and dangerous and a ruthless, ruthless dude. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I saw the reports about Delize Imovov. I did reach out about it. I've heard literally nothing back about either. So I don't know. There was another report that came out yesterday or a couple days ago. I think it was over the weekend that the UFC is targeting Song Dong versus Chris Gutierrez to headline that card. I, of course, reached out. Uh, I am told there is, there is smoke to that fire. Smoke to that fire. So if I had to guess what is going to headline that card, and I'm not 100% on it, my betting money goes towards Song Yidong, Chris Gutierrez being the main event. Is it Yan Zhonan versus Zhang Wei Li? Hell no. But it is what it is. I, I'm curious to get the UFC's perspective on why that's not happening, if they tried to make that fight, why it's not happening. And then I saw the reports about Song Yidong, Piotr Yan, as you heard on the show weeks ago. There was nothing really to that fight really at all was it brought to the table yes was it ever a thing no but one song he was rumored to be the main event you kind of had to figure that that was the direction they were going to go with it so that's where we're at right now as far as shanghai goes hopefully we can fully confirm that fight uh sometime today i've tried but there is smoke to that fire my friends that is for sure the Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. 
This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the US, so make sure you don't miss it. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, go ahead, Cole. Good morning, Mike. Uh, <clears throat> I just got a question today. Am I? I feel like I'm a like a stuck up fan for. All right, so you know how Brian Campbell says that the UFC has about like four majors a year, and I would say the November MSG card is probably one of those big pay per views of the year. Am I like a stuck up fan for thinking every main card fight on this pay per view on on one of these big four events should be? like a fight night main event caliber fight. Like, I'm sorry, Mike, but Diego Lopez versus Pat Sabatini. It's a good fight, but that does not belong on a main, on a main card opener to, to like a Madison Square Garden November card. Like, like why, why do I have to be such a hardcore fan? I'm a fucking big Diego Lopez fan and I got, I get all that hype. He belongs on this card, but I feel like in the past we've seen just these, these top five fights, man, they've all been like fight night headliner quality. I don't know. Like I'll, I'll give you, I'll give them a pass on the Dern on Drodge fight just because the name value is there. But what do you think about that take? Yeah. I mean, look, I get it. Andre, dude, Andrade Dern is absolutely a fight night main event. That is an apex main event. If there ever was one. There is a world where Mafravol and Benoit Saint-Denis could headline an Apex card. Like, we've seen worse. And then just kind of looking at the rest of the lineup, what would you prefer be above Sabatini-Lopez here? I kind of feel like that's maybe Ricci Godinez, but I kind of feel like Sabatini-Lopez is going to be just much more exciting than that one. Like, I think Ricci Godinez is going to be a good technical fight. But I think if we're looking at what is going to set the tone for the rest of the $80 pay-per-view, I mean, it's Sabatini-Lopez. Lopez could be the rookie of the year in the UFC if he beats Pat Sabatini. Like, he's in the running. Steve Ursegal is under Costa, fine, but no one really knows who either is. Matu Trebechki is now fighting Roosevelt Roberts, which is good for Rosa, Roosevelt to get to get back in there. Sadikov Borshev is is fine. Jared Gordon, Mark Madsen, like that's not where you want to set the tone. I don't think it's just not a deep, deep, deep card. I mean, there's three and a half potential, maybe four, sort of apex C main event potential here. Obviously, the top, top two fights, Andrade Dern is definitely a main event. Both those women have been in many main events. I like the, I like it. I like Sabatini-Lopez in that spot. I do. Have we had better MSG cards than this? Of course. I like this card from a competitive standpoint a lot. Prelims are what they are. And 
Yeah, I mean, Jones Stipe is two big names. Stinks to lose that one from a bottom line perspective, but from a competitive standpoint, Pavlovich Aspinall is awesome. So I don't know. We'll see how it all plays out. Maybe Sunday morning when we're doing the post-fight show, we're like, damn, all five of these fights are awesome. And there's potential that all five of these fights are awesome. So, but I get you. You want, you demand more, and I respect that. Barbarossa, go ahead. Um, hi, Mike. How are you doing today? Good. Um, I just want to ask you about uh, Islam Makachev. Uh, his, it appears that uh, he's not fighting the next uh, three title fights, uh, three pay-per-views. And after that, we have uh, 10th of March, I think, Ramadan next year. Um, where, where do you think he fights next? And uh, we have uh, later this year, uh, some, someone mentioned before that uh, Armand Sarukian fighting Benil Darius. I think... Out of all the rematches uh, Islam could have had or will have, this would be the most interesting one. And um, I'm afraid that he, this fight in particular is not going to happen because he's not the most popular fighter until now. I, I thought he's going to be more popular at this point. Uh, I'm talking about Sarukian. And it's like if... I think Islam has only three more fights at uh, lightweight. I'm, I'm not sure. But if he rematches Charles and rematches Arman, it's going to be out of four title defenses or five, it's going to be three rematches. And uh, this is why I want to ask you, do you think, why do you think everyone saying that Charles Oliveira should be next? I know he's popular. I know he's a lovely guy i know he's uh, an exciting fighter but against islam it wasn't so exciting um what do you think mike i get both sides of it i get both sides of it look i, I it's it's a two horse race right now it's doing the Oliveira rematch which is the scheduled fight and kudos Oliveira. he earned his way back i was not interested in that fight at all and then I saw what he did to Benil Darius, and I'm like, all right, I'm in. I'm back in. And then we saw what Gaethje did to Poirier, and I want to see his on fight Gaethje. Like, that's, if I had to choose, that's the one. But I could totally understand if they go with Oliveira. He earned his way back. I'm kind of with Jed where it comes to, I'd like to see multiple victories. Go get two wins and then get it. But, dude, give me Gaethje and poor Oliveira. I mean, who the hell is going to complain about that? Sarukian, it's tough, man. Like, and, and it's tough in this division as a whole. And we talk about it all the time. These young up-and-comers are just not getting their chances. They're just not getting them. Finally, Sarukian's getting his chance. He gets Benil Darius. He gets top five guy. Fazeev got his chance against Gaethje. Came up short. Gamrock got his chance against Benil. Came up short. And now it's Sarukian's turn. And let's see what he can do with it. He goes out there and just in a main event spot in front of people and just runs over Benil Dariush, I think his stock rises a ton. Will it become a super popular guy? Will it become a star off this win? No. But I think if he does do that in that spot on a pretty good card, that is a really good fight night card. If he closes the show, 
with the finish of Benil Dariush, I think talk at the end at the end of that card is going to be people saying, "All right, I got to see this rematch with Islam Makhachev," and maybe he gets there. Won't be soon, but and as far as Makhachev goes, May June maybe Ramadan. I think I'm looking it up right now, March 10th to April 9th. So probably probably won't see Makhachev to like. Depending on when the March pay-per-view is, could he do it before that? But we already got O'Malley and and Cheeto there, so maybe not. I mean, that seems like June. It's like June at this point. I don't know. I don't know. New York Rick, when you jump in, somebody said something that got you fired up. So have at it. Heck of a morning, Mike. No, I mean nothing got me fired up. I'm on the elliptical. Forgive me again. Um, but it, the the talk of Islam Makachev got me thinking. You know, uh, UFC's pound for pound list just established him as uh, number one. Us at MMA fighting, we've already had that. Um, but I wanted to ask, like, in terms of his trajectory, how many more wins do you think he is away from surpassing Habib Nurmagomedov? And I got thinking about this because it seemed like Habib had a lot more momentum in the conversation, and it seemed like everybody wanted to push. Habib to go status, but it seems like right now, you know, Islam is kind of on a slower roll. But when you compare the resumes, it doesn't really seem like he's far off. So I'm just curious, what do you think it would take for Islam to kind of step out of that shadow and be the true successor to Habib and kind of take that legacy mantle? Because I personally don't think it's far away, but maybe there's someone who would argue the zero on Habib's record is what's going to prevent him from ever getting there. So curious about your thoughts. Good question. I'm surprised to hear this question come from you, New York, Rick. This is typically not your cup of tea, but three, four? Two wins over Oliver and two wins over Volk certainly helps. A win over Gaethje would help. And I think you would need One or two after that against one of these young whippersnappers. Like if he ends up getting a Sarukian and finishing Sarukian, that's up there. He could get a Dariush fight somehow. That would help. He's not far away. It's not like he needs 10 more wins to get there. But I would say he's three or four, depending on who he fights. But yeah, you're right. Like you could argue that Oliveira's resume is maybe like one of the craziest ones at lightweight. But yeah, he's not that far away. He's not terribly far away. All right. I see five in line here. I'm going to get to all of you. J Mac. Go ahead. Hey Mike. Uh, just um, curious what you think happened to Gregor Gillespie. Um, the guy hasn't fought in uh, probably almost two years now. I think he's still on the roster. Yeah, there's tons of great matchups for him. I mean, the guy's a great wrestler. Um, is he done? Is he is he coming back? I mean, well, what's the deal with Gregor Gillespie? Uh, thanks, Mike. I have no idea. One of the big mysteries of this sport right now. Kind of like misplayed his hand after the CDF win. Because I know he got offered the Sarukian fight a, a, a few times. The plan was they were going to do Gregor Gillespie versus Sarukian instead of Gregor instead of Sarukian versus Gamrot, and then they couldn't get Gregor in there. And Gregor's 
mentality was I'm only going to fight fighters who are ranked above me and neither at the time were ranked above them. So he's just like, nah, he's not going to fight. Dude likes to fish and do those kinds of things. Real outdoorsman type of individual and loves that life. Doesn't seem like he's in a huge rush to come back. So seems like he's happy not fighting right now. I don't know. I'd like to see him back. He's a nice little addition to this lightweight puzzle, but we'll see. I, I have no, honestly, I have no clue. No clue what he's up to. Uh, let's go to Ani. How are you, my friend? Good. What's up? Oh, well, um, so I would like to jump back uh, to a question that you asked yourself. If I were Tyler Santos, would I still want to be in UFC? I would say yes, because Tyler Santos is not a small 125-er, and she's pretty huge. I think she can, like, if she timed it right, if she had good advice, I think she would have done really well in the bottom weight division. And with the bantamweight division, with a couple of rearrangements and good matchmaking, they could have revived it. I just don't understand, you know, I know Holly Holm stepped in to face Myra Buenoselva, but I think it would have been easier if they saved Holly Holm, because Holly Holm, for one, she holds a victory over Raquel Pennington, and that would have been a nice match to make. But, um, oh, apologies for the sound. That would have been a really nice match to me. But I just feel like UFC does this again and again when they have a really nice match in store. They just fumble the bag. Something like, you know, when Jose Aldo was on a 3-5 win streak and then the ma uh, match made him against Mirab. That's stupid. But that's that. Another quick thing about the whole situation with Ali Abdelaziz. I just feel like he's... I don't know, man. A manager shouldn't be in the news so damn much. I think a manager's face shouldn't be there a lot. I mean, of course, they should be given some credit, and the fighters will do it. But I think he just puts himself front and center of everything, and I just don't like that. And it's really admirable what people from the media, such as you, journalists like Ariel, all of you, you have to deal with people like them and also be in the good books of the fighters. I know it's difficult, so kudos to all of you. And, uh, you know, two last things. One of them is a visual matchup. So the visual matchup is, imagine, just imagine, Noche UFC next year, if you could wish for one match to sort of open the show, you know what I would wish for? Again, the word wish. Do not talk to, you, talk to me about it being realistic. I would wish for Cain Velasquez versus Andre Arlovsky. That is an amazing match that got away. That would be nice. Yes, that, that's what I want to say. And uh, someday, if you can get Dustin Poirier on Heck of a Morning, I know that's, again, that's wishful as well. If you can get him on Heck of a Morning, that would be amazing because he is, he has this, I mean, he's, more or less like an idol to me. There's the saying he said, uh, when times are good, be grateful. And in times like these, as in when times are bad, be graceful. That, that kept me going. So it would be nice if you could 
if he could hop in and I have the opportunity to speak to them, to speak to him. But anyway, thank you, Mike. Thanks, bud. Um, I mean, look, if that opportunity came, I would do it in a heartbeat. Not easy to do. So there you go. Um, yeah, the Santos thing is interesting. I don't know. Maybe she just doesn't feel like she could do 135. But like I said, it's the road to her getting back to a flyweight title fight. It's forever. It would take her like two plus years. So if there's other opportunities that present themselves to her, she should go after them. I mean, look at Derek Brunson. Like, Derek Brunson wasn't getting to a middleweight title fight. They talked, and they were just like, okay, go. Go to PFL. Did it with Corey Anderson. Remember Corey Anderson? Was one win away from a title shot. Fight John Bohovich, gets knocked out. We don't see him again. Him and his manager, Ali, talked to the UFC. He's like, can I go? And they said, yeah, go ahead. And he went to Bellator. So, and there you go. And... You know, you mentioned Ali. Look, I don't want to just keep talking about this. Um, like I said, I have no real relationship with him. I have nothing bad to say about him because I don't really know the man. Uh, what I will say is the fighters who are represented by him, they friggin' love him. They friggin' love him. They feel like he has done a lot for their careers. And at the end of the day, that's what a manager's supposed to do. Now, is he very boisterous and says a lot of stuff? Certainly not typically what you see in this space, but his fighters love him. And that's all you can really say about it at the end of the day. Uh, Henderson. Kowloon's next. Four-ounce sniper. We'll try to get to everybody. Uh, Guy Henderson. Hey, man, I was going to talk about the Ty uh, Santos, so I'm glad that it's already been kind of brought up a bit and laid out. And I, I like what you're saying. And I just think that if you're a fighter who, like you said, if you're not going to be a UFC champion, we know how these contracts work. You're There's no point in being in the UFC. You can make more money doing other things whether that's fighting in somewhat similar sports like karate combat or, or bare knuckle, or just going to this UFC or this uh, Bellator slash PFL thing. That's going to be getting built, right? Because you know, they have money to throw around too. They have women's divisions. She could go fight like Carmouche or something, you know? So I think there's better options for her there. And I just think with PFL and Bellator, and we don't know for sure that they're going to combine, but let's say they do. What do you think is the best way that they can run the combo organization? Like they said, they're going to kind of merge them over time if that's what they do. So what I would do if I was them is I would have tournaments around the world, make that like the PFL season, different continents, and then the winners of that get promoted up to the major league PFL slash Bellator pay-per-view division, right? And you just stack that full of fighters from other organizations that you bring in, former champions, Francis, and then make PFL the season that goes year-round and maybe just do a couple big Bellator events. So what, what, what do you think is the best possible way that they could do it and then also knowing mma competitors what would be the worst way that they could go about combining these organizations all right i'll hang up but uh keep up the great work thanks man I, what's the worst i don't know 
I don't know. I would like to see them separate to start. Maybe like 2024, just keep them separate, do Bellator events. If there are certain Bellator fighters that are like, hey, I want to try out this season format and try to win the Millie, like let them do it. But if they just want to, the Bellator fighters just want to do the Bellator thing, like do that for a year. And then at the end of the year, they should do a Bellator versus PFL event. One time, not an annual thing, but one time. I don't know how it would look. I don't know what the ideal matchups would be, but I would like to see that. That's how you should do it. The worst is just, I don't know. I'm like, honestly, the thing I'm most curious about is how this affects the Bellator fighters. Like, are they, do they have to join the PFL? Is this like WWE buying WCW where you can come work for us and make this or you can leave or sit home and still make money? You're a free agent. Like, these are the questions I have. And then, like, with the whole, oh, just do tournaments around the world, throw the Bellator fighters potentially in these tournaments to make the big PFL roster. Like, it'll work for some, for some of those fighters. But, like, Johnny Eblen ain't going to do that. AJ McKee ain't going to do that. So I, I am curious how that's going to work because, obviously, if you're a PFL, absorbing Bellator is to get the fighters. But are the, are the fighters contractually obligated that they have to go, or can they test free agency? And that's going to be the most interesting story if they are allowed to test free agency. Because they still could get more money from the PFL-Bellator combination, but maybe they want to test themselves in different ways. Maybe they want to try to be a UFC champion. I don't know. Like Johnny Ablin would be very competitive in the UFC's middleweight division right now. Vadim Nemkov would be very... Competitive at 205 in the UFC. Patchy Mix would be very competitive at 35. Kyoji Horiguchi would be very competitive at 125. Like it, There are more compelling matchups with the Bellator fighters of the UFC guys, without question. But I would like to see them keep it separate for a little while, keep the Bellator thing alive. Maybe you mix it up a little bit, find a network for it if you can. Maybe switch it up a little bit, freshen up the product a little bit if you're going to do that. It just feels like Bellator has been the same for a decade. Let's just loosen up a little bit. Let's try some different things. From a production standpoint, from, I don't know, there's just lots of things you could do. So it is going to be interesting. It's not done yet. I know people are saying it is done. It's not. Don Davis talked about it on the MMA Hour. Don despite his many faults, tells the truth, isn't afraid to say things. So wouldn't be shocked if we get an announcement at the pay-per-view, which I still don't understand why we're going to pay-per-view, but who the hell am I? Uh, Kowloon City, you're up. And you're muted. Are you there? Hello. Hello. Hey. Yes. Hello. Thanks for taking me, Mike. With uh, Islam officially number one pound for pound, I got to say, we need the Netflix documentary 30 for 30 for a Dagestani, uh, you know, what they've been able to do from that region. A couple million people produced two of the greatest fighters of all time. 
I think we need the 30 for 30. Uh, my, my question would be, though, has there ever been a greater trio of fighters out of one camp? Uh, I'm going to say AKA. You've got three pound-for-pound pound number ones. Islam, Habib, Cormier, off the top of your head. Uh, can you think any camp, any trio of fighters would be able to rival those three? Appreciate it, man. Have a great day. A good question. Um, I mean, it's right up there. I'm trying to think if there's like any others that even are close, honestly. And I think if I dug deep enough, I could I could think of them. But yeah, there a thirty for thirty on like Habib's father just bringing these guys because we don't, like that story isn't even done yet. Like Usman or Magomedov could be better than both of those guys. Like we don't know yet. There's so many, like AKA just pumping out these like incredible that like Umar's another guy on the way up. A lot of people are super high on him. And then we have Cain Velasquez. We have Luke Rockhold. We have like some of the other just major names that have come out of that gym that have been so successful. But yeah, just a father's plan just in full effect. What, what has been able to be produced from, from all of that? It's just unbelievable. It really is. It is um, is is the deserving number one. That's why we ranked him number one. Like we we had him number one after the knockout. I I put him in number one after the first Volk fight. I bumped Volk back up after Volk beat up Yaya Rodriguez. But yeah, I didn't hesitate to put Islam number one after the first Volk fight. But now it's like it's inarguable. Like, John having one win, like, one good win over his last, like, five years. Like, I just don't understand. I could not understand how you could justify putting him above his on Makachev just because he has one quick win over Cyril Gaon. I, I just couldn't do it. So, glad the UFC, got it, UFC rankings panel got it right. And welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Uh, yes, four on Hey, how I'm good. You? How are you? Hey, good, good morning. Uh, just real quick for you, I don't know if somebody already asked about this certain fighter, but I was wondering, can Kyle Bahio finally get a ranking? Can he finally get a number next to his name? I thought he deserved one after beating up on Mikhail Oleg and this weekend he went out and put on another, you know, entertaining performance. So I think that's five in the row in the UFC. Can he finally get a ranking? That's all, Mike. Uh, no. No. He can't. Sorry. Would I rank him above Anthony Hernandez right now? No. Would I rank him above Chris Curtis right now? No. Paul Craig, Imovov, Gaslam. Uh, yeah, Gaslam's a welterweight, but we don't know yet. Would I rank? Would you rank him higher than Ikram Alaskarov? Hell, no. I wouldn't. Not a chance. I know he's got five wins, but Ikram is just. The truth, man. No, he's not ready for ranking. And maybe if he didn't call out Drickus Duplessis, maybe I would think about it a little bit more. But that was just one of the worst call-outs of the year. One of the worst. No, I don't think he's there just yet. I forget who I ended up matching him up with. 
Oh yeah, I did a doo doo pick. I matched up with Jun Young Park, and then I realized Jun Young Park's already fighting Andre Muniz. So I end up going with Michelle Pereira. I think that's a good fight. Kyo versus Michelle Pereira. Kyo beats Michelle Pereira. I think, yeah, give him a ranking. Give him a ranking. Middleweight's loaded right now. Like, there's there's a lot of names. He's it's loaded up. It's gonna it's gonna be tough to get a ranking. Uh, Mark, take us home. Uh, hey, Mike. Uh, just wanted to commend you on your busy day yesterday uh, with the the Wonder Boy, John Anik, and the uh, the breaking news of the title fights. So that was a pretty busy day in the podcast feed. Apologies if someone asked this already. Uh, I don't know if you saw the announcement from – oh, it's not an announcement, but the UFC uh, roster tracker saying that Tyler Santos was let go and Marcel seemed to uh, confirm that this is uh, actually a thing. I'm curious what your take on that is. Uh, she's the one who you know, arguably beat or did the best against Valentina previous to Alexa Grasso. So curious if you had a take on that. Have a great day. Yes, uh, our own Guillermo Cruz confirmed it. That is up on MMAfighting.com. Yeah, it's kind of a surprising one, but we don't really know all the details here. Could this it, it, now? Is this something that Santos and her team went to the UFC and said, "Hey, like maybe like I kind of want to go somewhere else. You mind letting me go?" And the UFC was like, "Yeah." doesn't really seem all that surprising if you think about it that way. Now, if this is the UFC making a, consci- like a conscious decision to let her go, kind of a weird one. But if this was something that Santos went forward with her team to the UFC and asked for, then it's really not all that surprising. Valentina is not the champion anymore. There's no sort of interest in Santos fighting Alexa Grasso at this point. Aaron Blanchfield just beat Santos in a competitive yet close fight, but Santos lost that fight. And considering where this division is right now, with the likes of, let me just pull it up real quick, the likes of the Ira Ujos, the Hebosses, the Tracy Cortez, the Natty Ices, the Casey O'Neills, the Karine Silvas, on top of the Blanchfields and the Man and Fioros and, and these other fighters, Macy Barber, I mean, it is going to take forever for Tyler Santos to get a flyweight title fight. Forever. It would take her years. So the juice probably isn't worth the squeeze for her. I actually don't. Unless she was going to make a full-time move to 135, which someone mentioned earlier. And even then, like that division is just kind of a barren wasteland right now. Maybe there's a revitalization after we crown a new champion. I don't know. But there's just not really much for her that's interesting right now. Is she just going to be the litmus test fighter? Like, do you throw her in there with Macy Barber? And then if she wins that, you throw her in there with like Natty Ice, and she's just kind of the Chukagian role at this point? Because that's kind of where she's at. There's just too many fighters ahead of her right now. So, was surprised to see it. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, eh, maybe I'm not all that surprised. Maybe this is actually like the best move for her. Does she end up in PFL? Does she go somewhere else? We'll see. 
Uh, Nicholas asked a quick question earlier. I'll, I'll throw him in one more time, and then I have to go. I really have to go after this. Go ahead, sir. All right, it's not going through. All right, I got to go. Thank you all very much. I appreciate it. Uh, lots of stuff coming up this week. Jose on his way to New York today. It's going to be a busy week for us all. We got watch party. We got two more MMA hours, one tomorrow, and then we have a live one on Friday with the whole crew and special guests. I believe will be revealed on the show tomorrow. Just so much going on, my friends. So stick with us at MMAfighting.com to get you ready for UFC 295 and for all the big news going on in the wonderful world of mixed martial arts. We'll be back here on this here program Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern. We will do it again. We got BTL on Thursday as well. It's just going to be a busy, wild-ass week. So we thank you all very much. You're the best. Back on Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. And have a heck of a morning, everybody. Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.